The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Quite some time. So, brother, bring it. Bring it. Tell us what you got to tell us. Okay. Uh, it's not a typo. You can turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to start. In the classic children's book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, four children enter a world called Narnia. Through a closet in an old mysterious house, Narnia has been ruled by the curse of a white witch for years. Under her reign, it is always winter, but never Christmas. The saddest of times, always winter, but never Christmas. But these four children hear that there is a wild lion that is coming, and some say he's already on the move. C.S. Lewis wove deep themes, theological themes, into his children's stories that he wrote. These were written in the early 1900s, but the themes are applicable to us today. Through the children's experience, he asked the readers some questions. What is the true story? What's the true interpretation of the story? Is the witch the bad guy or is the lion the bad guy? Who is the villain? What you believe about this truth doesn't determine the truth, but you do have to decide if you believe the truth. So the truth you and I need to believe today is that Jesus is already the king of the universe. This is true. The decision for us is, do we believe it? Believing this truth, our big idea, brings hope, comfort, and encouragement. So the big idea of Revelation today is that blessed is the man who remembers and believes that Jesus is already the king of the universe. Blessed is the man who remembers, does not forget, and continues to believe that Jesus is already the king of the universe. Maybe you're here today and you're tired. Maybe you're tired of the hardness of life. The devil is coming after you and your family. He's trying to separate them from what you've taught them in the past. He's trying to get you to forget what you've learned in the past. Maybe you're asking the question, if God is really even looking out for you, does he really see you? Does he really care about you? Does he even know that anything in your life is wrong? Why is he allowing bad things to happen to so-called good people? Why do bad people seem to be getting away with it? You and I, the universal thing that we need, we need some, some truth. We need some hope, some encouragement and some comfort. So we're going back to the beginning. You're in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. 
And we're going to see, we're going to remember what the purpose of this book is. We have been on a journey through Revelation, have we not? It is easy to forget maybe where we started. So we have seen a lot of details. We have seen a lot of important things about what are these symbols and what time is it and where is all that. So we need to remember, remind ourselves of the purpose of this book. The purpose of this book. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Verse 3, important. Flashing lights, important. Revelation is written so that the person who reads it is blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So what's our purpose today? We want to remember that this book was written to show us what must soon happen. These things are happening and will happen soon. And we need to be blessed, encouraged, strengthened, comforted by this book. If we read this book and hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, then we are blessed. So as an overview, and I know you saw, you saw your bulletin, you're like, chapters 8 through 11. What are, what are we doing? <laughs> and today is going to be kind of an overview day. It's not going to be a lot of the details of chapter 9. We're going to do a lot of overview. So as an overview of chapters 1 through 3, we saw an exhortation to the churches to be loyal to Jesus alone. Be loyal to Jesus. Those seven letters to seven churches, be loyal to Jesus. Chapters 4 and 5, we were in the throne room of Jesus we saw the one who is worthy, and we were called to worship the holy God, the worthy king. The question goes out, is he worthy? Oh, boy. Let's try again. <laughs> we sing this song here. You know it. You know the words. Is he worthy? Yes. Yes, he is. Okay. The song goes, is he worthy? And we say, he is. Okay. We're at one more time. One more time, one more time as a family. Here we go. Is he worthy? He is. Amen. Okay. Four through five, worship the holy God. Chapter six, evil is punished intensely by God. Amen. Chapter seven through eight, verse one, God's people in the end are at rest with God. Justice comes on the evil ones and God's people are preserved. So, Revelation is written to snap your eyes off of yourself and get them back on the throne. To get your eyes off of today and how bad it is, and to show you what is true, what is real. To lock your eyes on the horizon. If you're a runner or you ran in the past, you would pick a spot on the horizon and you just look there until you get there. So, lock your eyes on the horizon as you plod towards the end that we know is coming. We already know the end of the story. Lift your head when you are tired, and the Holy Spirit comes along and holds your head when you can't lift it yourself because you're so weak and you're so tired and you're so beaten. So what is sufficient to do all those things, to remind us of the truth? 
The only thing strong enough to give us real hope and a real encouragement is truth. God pulls back the curtain and shows us what's really real. He shows us a portal into heaven and says, here's the reality. A heavenly perspective. Here's what it is. The universe, all the powers of evil, the people of God, all of this is on a one-way trip towards the expected end of God being glorified by the multitude. Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, whether willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus is Lord. What is our ultimate happy ever after? It's the triumphant triune God receiving his due worship from his people in a new world. But we know the flight to our home has turbulence. The truth is that turbulence is not eternal. There is a hope that the sufferings of this life will be done. So let me be the coach at halftime. You're at halftime, you're down, you're down 20 points in the basketball game, maybe you're down 20 points in the football game, God forbid, and you are tired and you're sad and you need a pump-up speech. That's what encouragement means. I'm putting courage into you, right? That's what my role is today. Here's the encouragement. Here's some hope. You guys can do it. Slam those lockers. Ah, here we go, right? That's what my role is today. Be your halftime coach. Let the Spirit give comfort and encouragement and hope. Take heart. Be blessed. Despite the bumps and bruises, fights and funerals, our king reigns. Whether it is tomorrow or another 2,000 years from now, from heaven's perspective, the end is already here. The only thing strong enough to give us real hope and real encouragement is this truth. So chapter 8, verse 2 through 9:21, we saw all of these trumpets. Last week, we looked at the first four. The trumpets are just like the, the seven seals we've already looked at. They open a window for us to see the unfolding of history and the future. These trumpets describe another perspective of the same types of events that we saw with the seals. And we're going to see the same types of events with the seven bowls that are poured out. These describe uh, how Jesus wages war on evil. The wicked do not repent. The people of God are preserved. And in the end, a multitude worships the heavenly king. Last week, we looked at the first four trumpets with Darren and the plagues sent from God on the wicked people. So uh, Jeff took some time and read the end of that Exodus deliverance story, Exodus 15, how the waves and the, the waters of the Red Sea pummel Pharaoh's army. But that's just the end of that story. Today, we're going to see kind of the parallels. We're not going to go into too much detail. But as you think about these trumpets, as you heard about them last week, they kind of have those echoes of the ten plagues in Egypt. There's darkness, there's fire, there's locusts, there's all these different pieces that has the same effect. It's the same type of relationship. God sends plagues on the people to deliver his people. So the evil people receive the plagues, and God's people are delivered. But in the same way uh, that it was in Egypt, Pharaoh doesn't tighten or doesn't loosen his grip on Israel. He keeps holding on to them. 
and hardening his heart. In the same way this week, we're going to see that the people in that time or this time that are receiving all these trumpets, they're not going to repent. So let's look at chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 1. And we're going to look at the fifth trumpet, chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, those who do not believe. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion. They are stinging. When it stings someone. Uh, verse 6 And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots, and the horses rushing into battle. Verse 10, they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Avedon, and the Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two are still to come. Okay, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, we have a description of a demonic, unbeliever-consuming, locusty, scorpion-y army from hell. And that's all I'm going to say about it and leave the rest for Darren. <laughs> the fifth trumpet is blown. There is a powerful army from hell that is sent and ordained by God to consume those who do not believe, that are not sealed by God, for God. Verse 13 through 19. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from, four, from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates. That's a big river. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day, the month and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. That's a lot of people. Verse 17, And this is how I saw the horses in my vision, and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of the color of fire, and of sapphire, and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions, Heads and the fire and the smoke of sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, uh, and by means of them they wound. Okay, so 
this army is bigger, stronger, faster, scarier than the demonic army. This is an angelic army. They, the other ones, had like breastplates of iron. These ones are like fire. It's crazy, right? So an angelic, vast, powerful, ferocious army from God. Okay, what in the world and how is this a comfort for us? We read chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is a blessing for us. How? That's our question today. How is this a comfort for us? The truth that we need to know, right? We're trying to see what is truth. That's what can bear the weight of all of our needs and problems. We need the truth. The truth is the world does not win in the end. God ordains that the world does not win in the end. Evil is crushed. We are going to let Darren explain more of those details on how that's happened, but the evil is crushed. The powers of the world are exposed as powerless. God sends plagues to harm and kill people who will not turn from false worship and who will not believe in God. Let's finish the chapter, verses 20 through 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So all these plagues are sent. And remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh has all these plagues sent. And he still does not repent. He hardens his heart. And the same happens here. All these plagues are sent. Their kids are dead. Their parents are dead. All their friends are dead. And yet they still continue to rebel against God. They say, this idol, it can deliver me. Not that God. Before we cast the first stone... Let us repent and say, how often in my day do I do the same thing? I know who God is. I know who's holy. I know who the king is. But sometimes I still worship the creation. I worship myself. Let us repent. So the question that this asks us is, if the plagues don't turn people from evil, what does? What could possibly turn people, if they're seeing devastation at a a divine level around them, what would bring them to the Lord? The Spirit of God makes dead hearts alive through repentance and faith. If you're here and you do not believe, you would be counted with those who suffer those plagues. That is your destiny. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent to die for your sins, You are going to be counted with those who suffer those plagues. You are headed towards hell. You are in danger. The wrath of God is and will continue to come on you. So the question is, won't you turn from your sin and believe? Will you not give up your idols, what you worship instead of God, and believe? Leave your life of chasing satisfaction in anything but Jesus and come to him. You deserve the wrath of the holy God for your sin, but Jesus died for your sin on the cross, and there is hope for you to be saved. That is the only hope you have, so won't you turn? Christian, if you're here and you're playing around with sin, you play a dangerous game. 
You put yourself in the crosshairs of God's discipline. He loves you, and he won't let you play with sin for too long. It would be wise of us to turn from sin now instead of suffering discipline that we don't get to choose. Choose to repent and give up sin. Kill your sin now. Chapter 10, we're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, John is commissioned by Jesus to tell us this message. Though we don't know every detail of human history, we know that God will fulfill this vision soon. That's his message. God will fulfill this vision soon. So we had the first six trumpets. We've got this interlude of chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11. And we get this commissioning of John. Tell the people that this is happening soon. Another application for us, if it's happening soon, maybe we should repent soon. Verses 1 through 14 of chapter 11, God's people are marked off and protected as God's possession. God's witness in the world, the church, is martyred by Satan and the world, but God's witness is resurrected. The church walks the same path that Jesus walked. The church speaks the truth, and they're killed for speaking the truth. Think about Stephen. Stephen knows. He gives this beautiful sermon. You guys always do the same thing. The prophets come, they tell you the truth, and they're killed for it. And Stephen knows, I'm about to be martyred too. That's our role now today. We tell the world the truth, and we suffer for it. But that doesn't give us a cop-out to not tell them the truth. The church is resurrected. Our hope is that our church is resurrected and ascends. How is this a pump-up speech for us today? Death isn't the end for God's people. Death is not the end for God's people. You may be crushed in this life for Jesus' sake, but the church is united to Christ. And just like Christ was buried and resurrected after his death, we, because we're united with him, are buried and resurrected with him. Your hope is that death is not the end and you will be resurrected. Your faith in Jesus will be made sight soon. Soon this will happen. You have sweet communion with God, and you have the hope, encouragement, and comfort you need in the resurrection. So then the question is begged. If Satan, the world powers, and evil don't conquer in the end, who does? Who does? Looking at the end of chapter 11, 15 through 19. 15 through 19, chapter 11. The seventh trumpet. We would expect to read this and have another plague. We've had six trumpets and a bunch of plagues. We'd expect another one. But instead of war, the seventh trumpet signals worship. The worship because of Jesus' triumph. God is being celebrated in heaven as victorious. Let's read 15 through 19. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The world has been conquered by Christ. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. 
The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then, verse 19, God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So instead of another plague, we see worship in heaven because of the triumph of God. Why is this helpful for us? The truth about Jesus is that he already is king. He already is king, ruling from heaven. He has not brought his final day of the Lord yet. He hasn't come in all of his power from heaven yet. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are already conquered. They are already defeated. Today, if you take your eyes and you look around, it feels and looks as if the world is in power, right? It feels like hopelessness because of all of the sickness and problems and wars and rumors of wars. That's all around us. But Revelation says... Our hope is that is not even the truth. The truth is that Jesus is already king. And one day we'll feel finally and fully his reign. So blessed is the person that remembers that and believes. Because it gives you hope and comfort. It gives you the encouragement you need. Because it's so discouraging if you got bogged down with just you and your little world and this little thing and you don't lift your eyes to heaven and see him as king. So we have encouragement from Christ that he already is the king. The last trumpet isn't plagues and wars. It is worship and celebration. We have a heavenly perspective of reality. Truly, the devil is coming after you and your family. He wants to distract you and destroy you. You may doubt if God really sees and cares, You may see the bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people and be discouraged. But the Bible doesn't deny these questions. It answers them with this passage. It says that is just for a moment, just for a time. Jesus has already come to earth, died for your sins, defeated death in the tomb, and resurrected. Not only did he resurrect, he ascends to his throne and he's seated now reigning. We are in the last days when evil compounds and grows, but we believe Jesus has already defeated Satan, death, and the world. So one day Jesus will return. It is easy to forget that the end has already been written. It is easy to forget that we're on stable ground, not shifting sand. So remember Jesus' victory on the cross and in the tomb He sits on the throne today. What does that mean for you? Another application for us is our sin is already defeated. We don't have to worry and mess around with it. We have the power to not sin. You can live a holy and righteous life. You can kill that sin, the one you keep struggling with, and you feel like you could never get victory. Guess what? It's already been conquered. Jesus already died for it. He defeated it on the cross. So blessed, encouraged, and comforted, 
Hopeful is the man who remembers and believes that Jesus is already king. So in the power of the Spirit, not by your own will, but through the Spirit, snap your eyes off of yourself and behold the truth that Jesus is king. Lock your eyes on that horizon that Jesus is on the throne and that's where we're all headed. Let that get you through your life, your day, your moment. Let that be in your mind as you fight against sin. That that's already going to happen. It's already purchased. Lift your head when you're tired and remember that our God reigns. Let the Spirit hold your head up when you're so beaten, bruised, and battered that you can't hold it up yourself. If you have repented and believed, your body might die, but that is not the end of our story. If you have repented and believed, you may die. In fact, we all will. But that's not the end of our story. Our hope is that one day we walk in a garden with the Lord, a new world. We enjoy the Lamb, we sit at His table, and we worship Him in spirit and in truth, in person. It's coming, and we're almost home. In the middle of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that story we talked about at the beginning, where it has always been winter, but never Christmas. The, the white witch, she's the, she is the bad guy. That's the truth, the bad guy. She has like a sleigh with reindeer. She's like anti-Santa. And she's trying to drive her reindeer forward. Her little dwarf slave is like trying to drive her reindeer forward. And they, they get stuck. Because the snow is beginning to melt. The snow is beginning to melt. It's always been winter, but never Christmas. But the snow is beginning to melt. You can hear the water on the, the leaves of the trees. It's starting to drip. The rivers are starting to trickle. It's always been frozen rivers. Why is it starting to trickle? Then, in increasing speed throughout the second half of the book, the flowers begin to bloom. You can smell the fresh green grass. The sun comes out. And the children even meet Father Christmas. So why does this stand out? How does it, you're like, okay, cool story. What does that have to do with us today? The power of the wicked witch in the story begins to lift even before the last battle. Throughout the story, you hear the rumblings that a lion is the lion king. He's coming, but he hasn't even come and shown himself yet. But the power of the witch begins to lift. For us today, the power of Satan, the world, sin, and evil has already begin to, begun to thaw even before Jesus comes back. Even before that last battle where Jesus just speaks and it's over, even before then, the power of the world has been conquered. Spring has come. You can feel the wet breeze on your face. You can smell the clean air. It's moist. And you're like, yes, spring is here. How is that true? Because Christ came already. He has died. He has gone into the tomb. 
He has come out of the tomb and he has ascended to his throne. And he is coming back. So the power of evil, death in this world, the truth that you need to remember is that Jesus is already the king even though he hasn't come back yet. The truth is that our king has not returned, but you can already feel the effects of his first coming. You can already have victory over your sin. You can already be one with Christ by repenting and believing. You can be part of his family. You can be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted because he already is the king of the universe. So blessed, encouraged, and comforted. Hopeful are we because we remember and believe that Jesus is already the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can uh, come to it and receive what we need. Lord, I don't know about everyone in this congregation, but I'm tired and I'm discouraged and it's easy for me to get lost in the lies of this world and forget the truth. It's easy for me to forget that you came in the first place and you're coming in the second place. Lord, I want to be blessed and to remember that the ruling truth of this world is not that the world is in power. The ruling truth of this world is not that sin has power over me or over this little church. The ruling truth in this world is that you have come and defeated sin and death, and you will return to claim what is rightly, rightly yours, that this world is your possession Lord, help us to hope when we're not feeling like it. Help us to be encouraged when we're needing a pump-up speech. Help us to be comforted when we're sorrowing. Help us to kill our sin because it's actually already dead. Help us to worship you. God, give this church grace through your spirit to remember and believe that you are already king. We love you. Help us as we sing. In your name we pray. Amen.